Hello and welcome to our latest Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast. My name is Anita Edwards and I'm a Senior Knowledge Lawyer in the Financial Services team here at Norton Rose Wilbright in London. Today I'm joined by Jonathan Herbst, a Partner and Global Head of our Financial Services Group, and Matthew Gregory, also a Partner in our Financial Services Group. Good afternoon to you both. Today we're going Hi. to discuss the um, PRA's recent consultation paper, CP1023, on solvent exit planning for non-systemic banks and building societies. The consultation sets out the PRA's proposed new rules and expectations for these types of firms in the UK, which require them to prepare as part of their business as usual activities for an orderly solvent exit and to be able to execute one if needed. Now, before we dive into the detail of the consultation paper, perhaps we can discuss the background and context of the proposals. Matt, why is the PRA proposing these new rules and expectations now? Thanks, Anita, and hi everybody. Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I think you know, if effectively, you know, there've been a, a, a number of higher-profile uh, solvent wind-downs or preparations there, all amongst the smaller bank community in the UK over the past couple of years. Of course, we've also had um, the sale of SVB, and uh, you know, looking ahead at the economic climate. Clearly, I think this is the PRA very uh, carefully setting out its expectations of of firms uh, who are in this group of uh, non-systemic banks and building societies in terms of solvent exit planning. Clearly, there are a number of macroeconomic indicators that are at play here. We can get into some of those in due course, but I think this is a combination of sort of um, recent firm events and also the broader economic climate. So I think those are the twin drivers really of this. Thanks, Matt. And as we've noted, the rules and expectations relate to planning for a solvent exit. Jonathan, perhaps you could explain what we mean by an orderly solvent exit and in what circumstances a firm might exit the market in this way? Yes, thank you, Anita. So firstly, what do we mean by a solvent exit? A technical definition is it's the process through which a firm ceases to carry on its PRA regulated activities while remaining solvent. So in other words, it says that what it means on the tin, that it's a solvent rather than insolvent exit. And what do we mean in this context? Well, two contexts, really. Number one, situations where there is pressure on the firm that could happen in relation to, for example, consumer finance. It could have relation to a small bank, big retail lending, or whatever it happens to be. There's that situation. And the second is where there's a commercial reason that a strategic decision has been made to exit the market. Both of those are within scope. I should just say also that the, the plan, there are actually two bits to think about here. There's the initial solvent plan, which is required, and then there's a solvent execution plan, which is only required if you know you come close to a solvency type situation. That's a different thing, and they are both relevant. They're both talked about in the rules. So just be careful about those two different definitions. There's the initial sort of, let's call it theoretical plan, and then there's uh, the actual sort of execution plan, so to speak, which is much later, if this becomes relevant, that's the solvent exit execution plan, as opposed to the first plan. Great, thanks, Jonathan. And if I could ask you this next question, Matt, turning to the detail of the proposals, under mm. the PRA's proposed new rules and expectations, what preparations would firms need to make as part of their business as usual activities? Yeah, thank you, Anita. Well, I think, you know, pick up on, on Jonathan's point there, focusing, first of all, on the, the BAU activities of the firm. So uh, what Jonathan was referring to just a moment ago is the sort of the solvent exit analysis, which firms will need to undertake to begin with. And the PRA have set out in the supervisory statement there, and of course, we've got the, 
new rules coming in as well. Uh, a series of minimum expectations for that solvent exit analysis document. Uh, the PRA have said they're fairly open to the, you know, the ways in which that might be achieved, where it sits. It could be part of the recovery plan. It might sit separately. Uh, and just in terms of the architecture, where does all of this fit in terms of the plans that the firm needs to have? Well, this is this is sort of between recovery and resolution. So it's that middle piece um, which is around solvent exit planning, and that. Just to go back to it, that solvent exit analysis then, what are the things that that needs to cover? It needs to cover solvent exit actions. So what does the firm need to do in order to achieve solvent exit, which of course ends with uh, the firm effectively handing back its deposit taking permissions, although you know, it may well con continue in another guise, could continue to be an authorised firm, I think, um, but with uh, more limited permissions. So what are the actions? solvent exit indicators so they're the things that the firm needs to monitor so picking up what Jonathan said there about some of the the wider context in which the firm operates making sure that it is prepared for that next stage um, which we'll come to talk about a little bit later on in terms of the planning what are the potential barriers and risks clearly thinking about um, not just within the firm but externally as well what are the resources and costs of achieving uh, the solvent exit Communication, and that's you know fairly broad ranging uh, in terms of the expectation from the regulator there. So that's an internal, external stakeholders, of course, the regulators, but really importantly, obviously thinking about depositors, creditors, shareholders, and other market participants as well. Clearly, the PRA have a you know a very close um, close eye here on the extent to which uh, there could be disruption in the wider market. Governance and decision making. So how will the uh, steps be achieved? Uh, what will be the uh, the appropriate process for that? Will there be or there should be a named uh, executive who is accountable for the BAU preparations and, and so on? Then finally, uh, and importantly, there's the assurance piece. So firms need to undertake adequate assurance activities for their solvent exit preparations and have quite a number of detailed uh, expectations in, in that regard. That does need to be uh, reviewed and updated whenever there's a material change. So I think, you know, really important to think dynamically about that. This isn't just about internal factors uh, relating to the firm, but clearly the way in which the firm uh, is subject to external market forces and the wider economic landscape as well. So if a solvent exit became a reasonable prospect for a firm, what are the new expectations that would apply then and what would the firm need to do? Yeah, that's right. And, and you, you know, there's words there um, about um, a reasonable prospect uh, that the firm might need to execute solvent exit. I mean, those are the sorts of things that um, yeah, we've had to look at quite closely um, with others uh, in, the, in the broader firm here from our restructuring solvency teams, but clearly a number of um, lessons to be learned from recent market activities on, on all of that. What, what does the firm actually need to do? It needs to produce what Jonathan referred to earlier on as a sort of the second stage. So that's the production of a solvent exit execution plan. That obviously needs to have quite a lot of detail. Clearly, um, the firm will be uh, making commitments to the PRA in connection with solvent exit, uh, the execution, the timescales and so on. Um, this will look and feel quite different to different types of institutions. And the PRA recognise that. And they expect that the plan is appropriate for the particular business model, structure, operations, risk strategy, and so on. And importantly, and again from experience, you know, the extent to which the institution is supported by a wider group, for example, will be a key determinant as to the nature of that plan. Clearly, it needs to have a series of very clear timescales and actions. This will be um, put through at pace in that timescale, working with external advisors, also in close cooperation, cooperation with the regulators, both the PRA and the FCA, uh, as I mentioned. So the communication plan for stakeholders that needs to be explained in the execution 
plan is going to need quite a lot of detailed thought. Uh, and the point around you know, engagement with depositors, clearly for a number of institutions that will also involve third parties like aggregators and other platforms and so on. So careful consideration needs to be given to all of that. Uh, and then obviously you know, moving through some of those uh, other examples that the PRA has given in the annex to the supervisory statement, the draft supervisory statement. So importantly, and just pick up a couple of points there around assessment of resources. So that's not just financial resources, but in a solvent exit scenario, obviously the importance of non-financial resources becomes really you know, even greater perhaps than uh, it has been at earlier stages of this sort of wind down process when one works through the detail of the proposal. So thinking about access to external specialist advice, key staff, but also the operations, the IT infrastructure, where is data held, all those sorts of things, all of that really needs to be very carefully thought through and set out in the execution plan so as to be able to deliver on the execution plan in a, in a pretty expedited time frame. Great, thanks Matt. Jonathan, if I could come to you with a question on scope, which firms fall within scope of the proposals and how do the proposals fit in with the PRA and the Bank of England's other policies on recovery and resolution? Yes, thanks Anita, no problem. So firstly, in technical terms, it applies where a firm is neither itself nor part of a group that has a GSI or an OSI in the group. And also it's not a firm to which the operational continuity a part of the rules applies. In English, basically the smaller to medium sized banks is the simple answer. Um, that's where it applies. And in terms of the linkage to other policies, what they've said essentially, which makes sense, is to the extent that in your recovery or resolution planning and the documentation that goes with it, you already covered by, you know, you've already covered the ground that the new rules cover, then that's fine, you can use those. But obviously, you know, banks will need to actually look at the new rules to look at the, you know, overlaps and underlaps and all of that good stuff. Thanks, Jonathan. And just one final question for you. What are the timings on this? So when does the consultation close and when can firms expect any resulting changes to come into effect? So the consultation closes on the 27th of October, so you know, quite a long consultation. The precise timing of uh, the new rules is not entirely clear, but you know, I think we can expect those in a reasonable period after that. So this is definitely something firms, you know, the banks need to be taking very seriously and to some degree already sets the expectations. Uh, so in a sense, it's not an entirely new concept. It's just amplifying what there is. So I would say take it very seriously and it's pretty soon. Thanks, Jonathan. That's really helpful. And thanks to both of you, Jonathan and Matt, for sharing your thoughts today on the PRA's proposals. We will continue to track developments on our Regulation Tomorrow blog. Um, so thanks everyone for listening. Goodbye.